Welcome to Research Recap, our research podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Research Recap, we'll bring you the latest industry analysis and research insights from our team of award-winning experts. Welcome to Research Recap. This is the new series on J.P. Morgan's Making Sense podcast channel. My name is Jamie Baker. I'm here in New York. I cover U.S. airlines and aircraft leasing companies at J.P. Morgan. And today I'm joined by my London-based colleague, Harry Gowers, who covers the European airlines and travel retail at J.P. Morgan. And we are here to discuss the summer travel outlook for the airline industry. So, Harry, why don't you start us off? What's the overall picture for the European market this year? Are consumers still willing and able to travel this summer? What's the impact on airline fundamentals? Why don't you kick it off? Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here, to be talking to you. As always, just to start from my perspective, the outlook for the European airline industry right now is very solid. If we cast our minds back to the summer of 2022, we'd only really begun to emerge from travel restrictions a few months previously and also a dent in bookings confidence from the conflict in Ukraine. And so then you really had a huge surge in demand as consumers began to book trips, but also travel with confidence for the first time really in a couple of years. And since then, those levels of demand have stayed extremely high. And that's especially for leisure travel here in Europe. And that's both on short haul and long haul routes as well. And that's how we currently see it going into the peak summer period this year. So the bookings outlook for both the low-cost carriers and also the network full-service carriers is currently very strong. We expect planes to be almost full, so that's all close to pre-pandemic load factors. And we also expect an extremely strong pricing environment, and that's aided in part by the very strong underlying demand from passengers, but also a constrained capacity environment here in Europe too. When we look at the consumer landscape here in Europe, at least for travel-related spend, Consumers have tended to stay incredibly resilient and they seem to have shaken off some of the economic or inflationary-related pressures around them to really splurge on flights and holidays so far. And that was really the biggest concern for us, but probably investors as well, coming into this year, was that we'd see a weakening of passenger demand due to the cost of living squeeze and the pressures that households would face. And that would be met with inflationary cost pressure as well on the other side on airline cost basis. And that would basically eat away at the profit recovery post-COVID-19. Now, this just hasn't materialized at all. And in fact, we've seen very large earnings upgrades across the sector year to date. And what was maybe underappreciated was the level of pent-up demand for travel as we exited the pandemic. And the really big question is, has the consumer's propensity to spend on travel actually increased structurally? relative to pre-pandemic, because so far, consumers appear to be spending on flights, hotels, excursions, no matter what the cost to them. So the only caveat that I would say to this is, yes, the leisure side is extremely strong, but corporate traffic is still lagging behind 2019 levels here in Europe. Volumes are probably at 65 to 70% of 2019 levels on average, but that weakness there is more than being offset by the strength in demand in the leisure segment. Long story short, we basically expect a great summer of profitability for the European airlines. And as we sit here right now, absent any external shocks or widespread sector disruption, the biggest question for us is just how strong 
where fares be when they come in, and then just how strong could profitability be for the carriers this summer. And Jamie, maybe one for you now, turning to the US, how are airlines in the region faring? Is consumer demand holding up? If so, what type of vacations will consumers look to prioritize this summer? Sure. Well, look, we're facing a very similar situation here. My focus right now really is on supply and demand. The industry measured by capacity here in the U.S. has finally exceeded the 2019 baseline by just sort of mid-single-digit percentages. But of course, the U.S. economy itself is some 17% larger than in 2019. So put differently, COVID has driven this once-in-a-generation reset in terms of the size of the industry. If we compare 2022 capacity with what airlines were planning for pre-COVID, we were about 20% smaller in North America. This year, we expect to be about 16 points smaller than the pre-COVID plan. And based on my conversations with the OEMs, and in particular, the input from our J.P. Morgan research colleagues, the OEMs are never going to catch up to where they otherwise would have been. But I do think there's going to be a pretty stark difference this summer in terms of what passengers are experiencing. As you noted, this time last year, most international markets were closed or at a minimum really difficult to get to in terms of the COVID-related hassle factor, you know, inbound, outbound testing, that sort of thing. So many U.S. consumers chose domestic destinations over, say, Europe, and that created tremendous competition here to get to places like Montana or to Hawaii. In fact, I remember seeing articles about how you couldn't even get rental cars in some of those markets, so passengers would rent trucks for their families from shipping centers and what have you. This year, it's the opposite. There's a tremendous rebound in international demand, and it actually makes the year-on-year comparisons in the domestic market quite challenging. And we're seeing that in terms of the fundamentals. The U.S. airlines that do fly overseas gave very strong summer guides, whereas the domestic-centric airlines here had pretty underwhelming guides. In fact, I think this is one of the key themes behind the operating model inversion that we've been talking about. I think investors have long grown accustomed to low-cost airlines having the best returns over the long run, higher margins, higher earnings multiples. But that relationship has inverted here in the U.S. It's like Top Gun. Hey, I was inverted. It's the big airlines, the global franchises that have the higher margins. And of course, this has an impact for both consumers and investors. The inversion is one that we think can and will last for at least the medium term. And that certainly impacts some of my stock ratings. Moving on to costs, Harry, exchange rates. Tell us more about how this weaker U.S. dollar as of late may be acting as a bit of a tailwind for certain airlines. Sure. Why don't I start with the fundamentals, really, and why a weaker dollar generally helps the European carriers. So European airlines tend to have a significant portion of their P&L costs transacted in dollars, Fuel tends to be the largest cost line for an airline that's always bought in dollars. An airline then might have a significant amount of its aircraft maintenance costs transacted in dollars as well, and potentially some ownership costs given new aircraft almost always uh, denominated in dollars too. So if the dollar does weaken, that basically lowers these dollar-related costs for European carriers. And if you are a European low-cost carrier, then you have almost no dollar-related revenue coming in. It will be a larger tailwind compared to the network carriers. 
they generally have an offset as they generate dollar-related revenue on certain long-haul flights, obviously, especially if they fly to the US. The European carriers, obviously, it's a bit different to the US, but they will have various hedging policies in place which can limit the impact in either direction from FX volatility. The listed European names, the big guys, do tend to hedge their FX and their fuel exposure. That's often around 12 to 24 months out. But the weaker dollar in 23 compared to 2022 should still act as a profit tailwind for the European low-cost carriers, maybe a bit less so for the network carriers for the reason I've just explained. The other point potentially worth mentioning from my side, this could be a bit of a second derivative at play here, is whether the weaker US dollar that we've seen actually impacts the spending power of US consumers and the desire to travel internationally to Europe. So in other words, if the dollar's in your average traveler's pocket, suddenly don't stretch as far when they come abroad. Jamie, maybe you're a little bit better positioned to comment on this aspect of it than me. But for me, the dollar is only really reversing some of the extreme strength we saw through the back end of 2022. And it feels like the strong demand for international travel from US tourist visitors to Europe is probably unlikely to be impacted much by this. Whilst we're on the topic of costs, Jamie, maybe if you can give us the outlook for fuel prices and are they expected to stay low over the coming months? Well, I really wish I knew the answer there. If I was good at <laughs> predicting fuel prices, I might be doing something other than the airline gig at JP Morgan. You know, we tend to rely on the forward curve at any point in time for calibrating our earnings models. What I would emphasize, and you mentioned this here, is that fuel hedging here isn't nearly as common as elsewhere in the world. For starters, the airlines in the U.S. are in sufficiently strong shape that they don't need that expensive insurance, save for a few examples here and there of out-of-the-money calls to protect against an extended spike in fuel prices. But what it really means is that when fuel prices do rise to challenging levels, we tend to see all the airlines here adjust their capacity, adjust their ticket pricing. Thankfully, that helps us avoid situations like we had in 2008, where certain airlines did have highly advantageous hedges in place, which they could and did try to use to their advantage to take market share from airlines that were suffering under the weight of $140 crude at the time. Thinking back on the summer outlook, though, Harry, if we regather here at the conclusion of the summer and things haven't played out as optimistically as you and I both tend to be hoping for here, what do you think would have been the cause? What's the biggest risk to this summer of profitability that you and I are both forecasting in our respective geographies? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most crucial question, really. Maybe we're being too optimistic already in forecasting or expecting a great summer as we sit here right now. So in my view, outside of any, let's say, unforecastable external shock event, which we're not expecting, the biggest risk to the industry in Europe this summer doesn't lie on the consumer or the demand side, but probably more with the actual industry itself and on the supply side. And that's really the risk of sector-wide operational disruption and widespread flight cancellations. It would be similar to what we saw last summer in Europe when airlines, airports, and other players in the system were just woefully prepared for the large bounce back that we saw in passenger demand. So long flight delays or last-minute cancellations outside of potentially aggravating consumers and harming the airline brand that does bring an increased cost burden for airlines and under EU 
regulations, airlines can be liable to pay passengers' compensation under certain parameters. Obviously, then also can lead to lost revenue opportunities if airlines cancel flights last minute and have to try and rebook passengers onto other flights on the same route. So that fills up some unsold seats, which could have been some of the highest yielding given how close it was to the departure time. So in my view, we're not going to see a repeat of last summer's disruption and capacity cuts. Airlines and airports are now much better equipped, especially on the staffing side. And airlines especially have also been investing more in the standby crew and standby planes to try and help limit the impact if the system does again start to come under pressure. However, the European aviation system is nowhere near perfect. And there's also quite small margins for error. So if you're a low-cost carrier, one aircraft on average might operate five flights a day, aiming for 25 to 30-minute turnaround times. You then have the legal requirements around how many hours crew can work within certain timeframes. So if for whatever reason you have a flight delayed, even by a couple of hours or so, will have a knock-on impact on its daily schedule, and that can be quite disruptive to flight operations. So it really doesn't take much of an impact to then snowball into quite serious disruption. I think the main area to watch will probably be air traffic control in particular. This has had staffing issues post-COVID-19, given it's quite a specialist uh, job set. And the European air traffic system is also further congested by the shutting of Ukrainian and Russian airspace to carriers. That shuts off about 20% of the prior European airspace system. I tend to think of it a little bit like a motorway analogy or a freeway analogy. If you shut a lane but you have the same amount of traffic going through it, just pushed into less space. Obviously, there's heightened risks there that things can go wrong or it becomes much harder to actually manage that flow. There's also the continued threat of strikes here in Europe across the system, which could derail operations and lead to uh, last-minute cancellations as well. But by and large, the industry should be in a much better position than it was compared to last summer. It severely underperformed last summer in terms of on-time performance, And now it's had a year to prepare and fix the issues. Finally, Jamie, the question which I'm sure a lot of listeners will be wondering, why actually are flight prices so expensive right now? And any chance of prices coming down this summer or beyond, in your opinion? (laughs) In a word, no. Like I mentioned, the supply-demand balance right now is strongly skewed in favor of the airlines, which is obviously one reason that we're constructive on this space. And look, this point has been a long time in coming. If you look at the long-term price of dining out in the United States or the price of theme park tickets or the price of the overall travel ribbon excluding airfare, it's been headed up across the board for decades, but not ticket prices. We're only just now starting to see sustained improvement in ticket pricing. This gets back to that business model inversion that I talked about. Historically, U.S. consumers could count on those discount airlines to provide low fare relief, to keep the big airlines honest, for lack of a better term. But they can't do that any longer. Their results are weak. They're having to give significant raises in order to attract pilots, for example. They can't get airplanes in the numbers that they had once hoped for. So that one-time control that discount airlines here used to exert in keeping ticket prices low, 
they just can't have that impact in the current environment. So I do think consumers will have to continue paying up. And of course, this should bode well for investors, in my opinion. So listen, why don't we wrap there, Harry? I always enjoy our dialogue. It really helps me understand what's happening elsewhere in the world and what read-through there might be for the airline names that I cover. To my J.P. Morgan colleagues and uh, investors that took the time to tune in today, thanks from both of us. And don't hesitate to reach out with any questions that you might have. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Research Recap. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan Research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., all rights reserved.